you to remain standing for our scripture, which comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 14. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you have known the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If I can invite you to be seated, please. So good to be here with you all today, and uh, it's always a special Sunday when we have the opportunity to uh, celebrate and recognize our high school graduates. We're also blessed when we're able to come together here as a body of Christ and celebrate the Lord's Supper with one another. And so today we're going to be starting a new sermon series on 1 John. Last week we concluded our post-Easter look at uh, the different resurrection appearances of Jesus found in the Gospel of John. I want you to think about where we've been. We've been with Mary Magdalene on Easter Sunday at the tomb. We've been with the disciples behind closed doors in Jerusalem. And the last two weeks, we have journeyed to the shore of the Sea of Galilee. First, when the disciples went out on the boat and hadn't caught anything, and Jesus called out to them to let out their nets, and they caught a lot of fish. And then last week, uh, we, we talked about the disciples sharing in the resurrection meal with Jesus, and then they've eaten, and now Jesus gets up and walks with Peter while asking, asking him questions about the depth and the love that Peter has for him. After questioning Peter and talking to Peter, Jesus' attention shifts to the Apostle John. And when Jesus spoke to each disciple, if you'll remember with me, he gave them each a separate charge and a separate purpose in following him. Peter's charge that Jesus said to him was, you know, if you think about Peter and and his entire... um, Uh, All the scripture uh, dedicated to him in the gospel, the beginning says, Jesus tells Peter, you're Cephas, you're the rock on which I will build my church. And then later in John 21, Jesus tells Peter that Peter's charge is to be the shepherd of the Christian church once Jesus has ascended into heaven, even going as far as to be dressed in clothes that were not his and having his arms stretched, which Jesus meant Peter was going to be crucified for his faith. Peter did that. And so John's gospel is a little different because for John, Jesus had a different purpose. 
Jesus' purpose for John was to be a witness in, to the ministry and to the resurrection of Jesus. And so John's life, compared to Peter, was not supposed to be cut short in martyrdom. But the remainder of his life would be in testimony and a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so John did just that. He was a witness to the life, ministry, and resurrection of Jesus until he died when he was exiled on the island of Patmos. He led the ministry and the worship of the Christian community based in the city Ephesus, which I think you can see on, is the next slide a map, Natalie? Please. Okay, so you can see Ephesus right there, the red um, blob there. And, and so John is based there, and it says, or we believe, that Ephesus became a spiritual and administrative hub for the early Christian church in Asia Minor, largely because of John's presence there. Till eventually he was exiled to Potmos. Eventually he lived there the rest of his life. He wrote and he communicated with the church until his death. That's where he wrote or received the vision where he compiled the, the revelation according to John. But one thing that I think we need to see and we need to remember is John was faithful to the charge that Jesus had placed on his life, which was to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Compared to all of the other disciples, all of the other 11 were crucified for their faith, except John, or not crucified, but put to death because of their faith. They were martyred, except for John, and John's purpose was to be a witness to the faith, which is why we're able to read his letters, which we're able to read his gospel. And one thing that makes his letter set apart from others is John never refers to himself as the author. If you remember with me, when we read the gospel of John, John always refers to himself how? He says, the beloved disciple went to Jesus. Or it was Peter, Andrew, James, and the beloved disciple that went fishing on the boat, or whatever the story is that you're thinking of. John never refers to himself by name, and that's the same thing in his letters. Now the reason we know that John wrote his letters is because John uh, is, is referenced, this letter is referenced more than any of the other letters in terms of the early church. So there's all sorts of first century teachers and authors who are familiar with this letter and they cite it in their own writings. Or they use it as a reference when they talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so I think it's important for us to know that. Is that John writes this letter to fulfill the purpose and the call that God has placed on him, that Jesus has placed on him, that his role is to be a witness to the faith. And so his job then was to do that, to fulfill that role, to share the gospel, to, to administer the church. And so he does his best to do that. I think there's one other thing that's important for us to note when we read this letter is 1 John and, well, really 2 John and 3 John, they're letters written to a group of churches. And so unlike the majority of the other Christ, uh, New Testament letters, John isn't writing to a, commun a specific community of faith. Think about Paul's letters. Who did Paul write to? They're all titled by the communities of faith that he was writing to, right? He wrote to the church in Ephesus and Galatia, the region of Galatia. He wrote to the city of Philippi. He wrote to the Corinthians. He wrote to the Romans. And so John isn't writing to a specific community of faith. And so this means that he doesn't have the issues for just one church community on his mind or one region on his mind as he's thinking about it. He's writing to a larger group of churches. They're probably experiencing similar issues. They're probably experiencing similar challenges. 
And so some of those things that we believe they are, and if you read his letter, is there's issues around doctrine and around teaching. There's issues on how they're supposed to exercise leadership. There's issues on how they're to practice accountability. And in fact, if you go and read about 1 John, and a lot of biblical scholars believe that the target for this letter are the same seven churches and region that John writes about in the book of Revelation. So you can see on the map, on the next slide, okay, so um, I have my laser pointer. Boom, okay, here we go. So Ephesus is right there, and then Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis and Thyatira and per Pergamum and Smyrna, and I'm forgetting one. Well, I don't know. Okay, I have the list. No, I did them all. So, choir, can you see them on the back? Are we good? All right. No? Okay. Um, so John's not listing the specific challenge in each church. So this isn't like Revelation where he says, Oh, Laodicea, you are like a lukewarm stream. God is going to spit you out of his mouth because you're neither hot or cold for the faith. John doesn't say that, but what he's doing is he's addressing this group of churches and what he sees as their specific issues, which are facing confusion around the gospel and false teaching and lax practice and dealing with other religions who are harsh towards Christianity. So for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about 1 John, but I think it's important for us to spend time in this letter, and I would encourage you to take some time to read it on your own. And if you're going to read it on your own, I want to just point out that today, if it's chapter 1 and you go and read it, we're skipping chapter 1 because I preached on that about eight weeks ago and I didn't want to have to just re-preach the same sermon. So um, in, in John 1, I preached on February 12th, if you want to look at it. And the last thing I want to say before we talk a little bit about what John says is that as you read the, book, or the letter 1 John, and as you read it and think about it, you're going to notice that 1 John is not a letter that's structured like Paul's letters. If we read the Apostle Paul, his letters are structured, and so Paul very clearly has an introduction, he has a heading, he has three supporting arguments, he has heading B, he has three supporting arguments, C, and he goes. John is not that way. John kind of gets going and then he kind of wraps around and he hits point B and then he goes to C and then he injects A in there and then he throws C in there again and then he gets D and he kind of just wraps it around. But that's because John is trying to, to be a witness to the faith and sometimes being a witness to the faith means repeating ourselves, doesn't it? Sometimes it means recollecting and remembering the story and the events and, and what it means uh, for something to have happened in our lives. And for John, obviously the event that he's supposed to be um, recollecting and looking at was the life, the ministry, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so that's why there's repetition. That's why he's wanting us to see and to receive these things that, that he knows are important for us to learn as followers of Jesus Christ. Paul was able to address certain issues in a systematic way. John is able to witness to the faith to get us to think about the resurrection of Jesus and the life that God offers us and the love that he shows us. So this morning, his main theme, and the one that we're going to read about and we're going to be thinking about as John addresses the main theme through lax practice and through um, 
you know, uh, other confusion around the gospel and some of the other issues that we've lifted up is that the main theme in John's gospel is the way that we are shown the love of Christ and the way that we are supposed to, to respond to the love that Christ has given us and for the way that it's expressed through us. Which means if you go and read his letter, John talks about this. He talks about how our love is to be manifest to each other, how our love is to be shown to each other, and how we can't look at the life, ministry, and resurrection of Jesus Christ without seeing it first and foremost as a gift that God has offered to us out of his love for us. Which is why he goes and directly quotes what I titled, you know, the sermon, we said it was the newish old command, because really that's what it is. Because John references directly Mark 12, verses 29 through 31, where Jesus says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then here's the command, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then he says, The second rule is to love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So John goes directly to the word of Jesus. He builds on his own experience with Jesus, his own witness of Jesus, the own gospel that he wrote about Jesus. John's gospel is often referred to as the gospel of love. And so in these words, he just takes that uh, beginning point and he carries it out and continues to write about it to the church. Where he goes farther than just the words of Jesus, where he goes to the Old Testament and he tells the people in the church that, that they have received these commands and they're not new ones, but they're old ones. And as readers, what do we immediately think of when we think of old commandments? Don't we think of Moses coming down Mount Sinai? We think of God giving the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel and then those Ten Commandments being explained and fleshed out through the book of Leviticus. To where they're given to the people of Israel. To where John is saying, I'm not giving you a new command, but an old one which you have had since the beginning, the old command is the message that you've heard. And so he's drawing us back to the Ten Commandments, not shying away from them, not taking away from them, not discounting them, but recognizing and realizing that the Ten Commandments and the way that we choose to live in relationship with God are the things that lead us to God. And what he means is not that they lead us to God by becoming these ultimate rule followers like the Pharisees, where that's the only thing that we focus on, the way we wash our hands, the way we do all of these different things. But what he wants us to see and what he want us, wants us to get us thinking about is that if we look solely on the commandments, what they do in orienting us to God is make us realize that by following a bunch of rules, there's no way we can become saved. There's no way that we can become, uh, receive salvation. There's no way that we can approach God on our own. And that's why John wants us to see that the commandments were there solely for the purpose for those of us who have now heard of Jesus and who have uh, learned of his resurrection and learned of his life and learned of all that he has done. The commandments are supposed to turn us to him. To get us to realize 
that our salvation only comes through His grace and through the work of God, not anything that you and I can do on our own. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't uh, choose to live a moral life. It doesn't mean that we choose to to live in a way that we're responding to His grace and we're in relationship with other Christians and we're offering Him our worship and we're offering Him our study and we're offering Him our stewardship and our gifts and supporting and participating in the life of the church in all of those ways. But what it means is we realize that in supporting and participating in the church in, in all of those ways and all of the things we've listed and haven't listed is what John's saying is this new old commandment is the real reason that you're able to approach the throne. And it's because of the love of God that is expressed to us through Jesus Christ, which is a new commandment. But it's really just built on an old commandment where God was trying to orient us to him. Because the new life that Jesus brings is a life that he offers you in a way that nothing in the Old Testament can do. Because he died for your sin. Because he offered himself as an atonement for you and for me. Because he made himself a living sacrifice so that we could come to his table and to receive the gift of grace and the gift of hope and the gift of life that he offers each of us each and every day. And so John says for us to be a follower of Jesus is to be a person of love. Love in holding one another accountable. Love in leaving sin behind. Love in fulfilling the old and new commandment in Mark 12 as we realize and as we recognize and as we proclaim that it is through Christ that we are saved, through Christ we are offered grace, and through Christ we receive our salvation. Amen.